Good morning, saints. Um, once again, um, we want to remember and honor uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, that's tomorrow. In honor of that day, I got my new shirt that Corey got for me. It's called the Dream Center. And that's a ministry of Radius Church. And the ministry of Radius Church, the Dream Center, um, got its name primarily from the mission uh, from Dr. King to embrace and empower uh, those that are mistreated and are put down and to give them a hope and encourage them so that they can come out of not only a physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. So um, it is fitting that we honor Dr. King and all that he stood for because on that foundation by God's grace is why we are here today. Um, Forgive me ahead of time um, because I have been under the weather lately, and so my energy, as Anderson said, won't be as high. Um, and so bear with me um, as God gives me grace. Um, and I forgot my water that my wife gave me back there because I'll need that too. Not that I'm all that. See, that's wrong, man. Don't toss that at me like that. Not that I'm all that energetic to begin with. Uh, but as I said, may the Lord um, be with us this morning. So continuing from the book of John, those that have not been here, um, we have been going through the book of John and will continue today. The theme of the book of John Mentioned by John himself, he actually gives you the theme in chapter 20. He says that I've written this book to you Christians, that you might believe, that you might have confidence in the life that you have committed yourself to, that you, have may, that you may have confidence in the Savior that you have given your life to, that when people in this world try to cause you to doubt, that you would have a manuscript, you would have a book to go back to, to remind you of who he is in which you serve. When you have your own doubts, when you wonder and you struggle and wonder if it is worth it to give my life to Christ. John, through the Holy Spirit, has provided you and I a book that we can always go back to to be encouraged. The book of John. It's also a book that has dual purpose to remind you Christians, many Christians always struggle to know how do I share my faith in Jesus? 
I am not a big time preacher. I'm not a theologian. I just don't know what to say. Well, the book of John, again, serves that purpose for you. It is a book that if you read it with a non-believer and you ask good questions, it allows them to think for themselves. We will find today the model witness, the model evangelist, the example that God has given us as Christians to also encourage us, the first encounter in the book of John where you learn about a man who was a witness who shared the gospel, and it is meant to encourage you in to allow you to see what it looks like when it's done right. There's going to be two major things that you're going to get out of John that I'll emphasize. There'll be more than two, but there'll be two primarily. Number one, you will see that you do not need to be a, as many Christians says, an evangelist or theologians to be an effective witness for Christ. John was compared in the scriptures to those that had all the theological background and knowledge, and the question they had for him is, who are you? That all of these people are coming to you when you are not with us. You ain't in any right denomination. You don't belong to any of the religious cliques or theologians that you need to belong to that gives you the authority to be doing what you're doing. Who do you think you are? So that's number one. That the scriptures in God's wisdom and the Holy Spirit meant to encourage you is allowing you to know that not having an education in a necessarily school of thought is necessary to be an effective witness. To go along with number one, what you do need, though, is you need to put in time in studying God's word in connecting with him so that the Holy Spirit can give you wisdom in how to do it. If you don't spend time with God, if you don't spend time in his word, the natural thing that will happen is you will not know what to say when somebody asks you about Jesus. As a matter of fact, you won't really even have an appetite for telling people about Jesus because the core need that you have to want to share Jesus is spending time with him. When you spend time with somebody, you get excited about him and you just want to tell somebody about him. That's just a natural overflow of spending time with God. You, by the Spirit, are naturally an evangelist. My water at, hold on. I got to drink water and let y'all think about that. Let that sink in. The second major point that's difficult for all of us that John is going to teach us is what we said early on when we were starting Radius that's difficult, is that it's not about you. See, this is how God works. When you make it about him, then you benefit. 
See, that's a tricky one. Because it's simple, but yet, for whatever reason, or for many reasons, many Christians struggle with this. As Anderson said earlier, it's one thing to sing the song, Lord, I want you to have all of me. But it's another thing to practically apply it in situations in life. See, the core of sin, the core definition of sin in its root is selfishness. It's being self-absorbed in the next core part of sin is disconnection from your creator. Which, when that happens, what happens is we are filled with selfishness and sin takes over. And then it manifests itself differently in each one of us. But the core of it is selfishness and not connected with our creator. John understood this. His core message to everybody was, it ain't about me. It's what he said, it's how he lived, it's what he emphasized to everybody, and it's what he had to remind himself of. Um, when I was a, a young man, I was a father at a very young age. Um, met my lovely wife, she already had children. I didn't have any children. I had no idea what I was doing. I was about 23, and God gave me this beautiful family. So hanging out in there, all, they were all girls. Lord have mercy. So I'm hanging out with our family a few years after we had been married, and the kids do what a lot of kids do, we're getting into the car, and they're fighting for position in the car. Who's going to sit where? It's like a life-or-death issue. It, just, it was constantly happening, and I just got irritated. But I was a young man. I had never really dealt with that before. So time and time and again, the girls are rushing to the car, fighting who's going to be first. I'm just dealing with this, dealing with this. I'm thinking about my grandmama old school. I'm ready to pull the switch out. Because that's all I know. But by God's wisdom, in one of the rare times, shouldn't say rare, one of the special times that God's Holy Spirit just spoke to me and gave me some wisdom, it came to my thought to ask them a question as they were fighting. And I looked at them and I said, listen, who is willing? to sacrifice and give up their seats for their sisters. Raise your hand if you're willing to do that. Well, I wasn't talking to y'all. I was talking to them. Because y'all grown. It's easy to say that now. <laughs> okay. So I said to them, raise your hands if you're willing to do that. And then I paused, and amazingly, they didn't have an answer right away because what naturally kicked in is what they wanted. It was instinct, I realized, after time and time again of looking at this, it's just, not, it's like, man, these kids are just bad. They're just always selfish. And 
instinctively they wanted what they want for themselves. I didn't have to teach them this. So when I asked them that question, they paused, they paused, and finally one child raised their hand. Since she's here, I'll give her a shout out. It was Corey when she was little. <laughs> Obviously, right? Obviously, if you know Corey. So Corey raises her hand and she says, I'll give it up. And I wasn't really surprised. So I looked at them and I said, because Corey was willing to sacrifice and make herself last, she's going to be first. Amen. Yeah, you can clap on that. That's a good clap. That lesson the Spirit was teaching me was not just for them, it was for me. But that lesson was a lesson that God was wanting me to know that they need to be told for the rest of their lives. That when you put God first and you put yourself last, God puts you in a position to serve others. He gives you what you need because he knows in your hands, everybody going to get served at the table. So many times over and over again, we want from God, but God knows we ain't ready yet. Because he knows who he wants to invest in. He wants you to be able to sacrifice for others. In verse 19 of John 1, it opens up and says, this is the testimony of John. Y'all ever heard some great testimonies? I heard some great testimonies. But some testimonies, when they get done, I wonder if God is glorified or if they is glorified. Seen some of those, too. I used to go in them old school uh, churches where they have testimonies every week. And there's some folks that had testimonies every week. It's always they got a testimony. And John gives us a model of a testimony. The testimony of John in verse 19 culminates with a statement that speaks to John himself. Verse 23, jump to verse 23. At the end of this story, this first encounter with John and some religious folks, John said, I am just a voice. This is my testimony. I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah says, this is what I'm fulfilling. This is my destiny. This is who I am. It's all about the Lord. And I'm confirming it through his word. Going back to verse 19. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John, verse 20. Confess and did not deny, but confess, first of all, let's get something straight because there's been some weird rumors going around. I am not the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. Most of you know that. 
When we say Jesus Christ, that's an English translation of the Greek word that says Messiah. The Jewish people had been waiting. They knew of prophecies. Their whole Old Testament theology, everything that they believed in, was preparing for and waiting for a Messiah, someone to deliver them out of bondage and get them back on top. They were looking for a political figure to restore their land, still looking for it today. When they think of the Christ today, most Jewish folks do not accept Jesus as that Messiah. So when it says the Jews sent chief priests, that's a representation of a people who ultimately rejected him as a culture. They rejected him then, they still reject him as a whole today. But Jesus was born as a Jew, as we have been talking about and I have mentioned. John was a Jew. So they were in the Jewish culture. The Bible says that the Messiah would come from the Jews, but yet they're rejecting the very one that God sent. And the Jews sent some priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask John this question. But he just wanted to get one thing straight. I am not the Messiah. Okay, so they say, verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you then? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Let me give y'all a little bit of theology. I like to do that every now and then. As y'all know, it's not so much in-depth theology, but just a little bit of background knowledge. The reason why they are asking him, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? Because before the Messiah came, in the scriptures, Malachi chapter 4, if you were a Jew who studied your word, you were aware that before the Messiah came, it was prophesied that one like the old prophet Elijah would come. It's an Old Testament prophet, but that he would reemerge. And so they were testing his Bible knowledge. If you are not the Messiah, then are you the one that is to become before the Messiah? Because you got to be somebody if you out here doing all this religious work. And we're the religious leaders. It's our house, buddy. So you Elijah then? He says, I'm not. And then they said, okay, well, are you the prophet then? The prophet was also spoken of. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses gave a prophecy and said, one kind of like me is going to come before the Messiah come or in the form of the Messiah. And so from a Jewish standpoint, when you're reading this, the Jews, when they read this, they totally get what John is saying. 
and now hopefully a little bit we do is now he's asking them are you all are if you're not Elijah then are you the prophet that was prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 through 18 and he said no then naturally man what you doing you out here in our territory not only are you not one of the major prophets, but you are not connected to the Pharisees. You are not connected to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of religious leaders that were politically over the Jews. It was kind of like a court cohort of folks, a legislative body, and they were in charge of all activities of the Jews. So he says, if you're not a part of any denomination, if you're not a part of the Baptist, Episcopal, Mount Zion Church, you ain't Methodist, you don't have a degree, you don't have any of these accolades, why in the world are you out here evangelizing the people? Anybody here got a doctorate in theology? Anybody in here got a master's in theology? Some people on their way. So why in the world would you be qualified to share the gospel? Jesus says, and John says, you are. So here's your example, how you share the gospel. Here's what John does. Here's his first answer when they said, you are not qualified. He says, tell you what, verse 23, all I got is my mouthpiece. And here's how he responds to them, just a simple answer. Here's how you respond to people. God will give you the wisdom. I'm telling you that when you're prepared. But simple answers mixed in like gumbo with the Holy Spirit touches people's heart. He says, I'm just a voice and it ain't about me. I know a little bit about the Bible. John probably knew a lot because he studied. And I know who I am. My identity is tied to who I serve, and I am a voice for him to draw people in. John had life identity. He knew who he was despite what he was going through. He went through a lot. He was put down. He didn't have a lot, but he had identity and security in himself because he had given up himself. If you are a Christian here today, you will continue to struggle until you give it all up to him. Let me tell you what God will do, because this happens to me. We, we say to ourselves, Lord, have all of me. Then God brings us to a situation <laughs> where we got to give all of ourselves. Then we stop and we think about it like the kids, like the four girls at the car. Hmm. 
am I going to be, am I going to do first or am I going to do last because this don't make sense. It don't make sense that if I give up my position for the car, it don't make sense that I'm going to get what I want. Just don't make sense to me. So I'm just going to kind of question this and kind of keep it for myself. But there is one young lady of faith, Corey Lee, <laughs> who said, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what the father is talking about. I don't even know why I should do this, but I'm just going to trust in what he's asking me to do. And when she made that decision, I put her first. I guarantee you, if you're a human being and sinful and selfish like me, this is going to come up. And God will not take you to the next step. You're going to keep bumping your head, bumping your head until you are willing to give it all up for his glory. See, one thing about God is when you give it all to him, he gives it back to you because he knows you're going to give it to others for his glory. Verse 24, a couple more verses. They had been sent from the Pharisees. The author is making clear that this group that came to John the Baptist had been sent from the bigwigs, the theologians. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, verse 26, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who you do not know. Verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. They asked him, why are you applying a symbol of cleansing in a symbol known to be identified to cleanse up Gentile folks who really don't know the real God. You are out here baptizing without an association or authority. You don't have the right degree. You're not in a denomination. You claim and you non-denominational, all that stuff. And yet you have no authority. The symbol of baptism was a symbol of repentance or turning away from sin that the Jews knew about. But what was unique about John is he was baptizing a bunch of Jews who already were in the religious system. And they were already members of the Pharisee church. You baptizing our folks, they already good. What you doing? John made something clear. He says, look, they probably didn't even get it. I baptize with water. The same symbol that you're accusing me of, 
that I shouldn't be doing, I need you to understand that that symbol is incomplete. Water baptism, cleansing from the outside, is a symbol of a heart condition. You have religious ceremony, you have systems, but you don't know him. When God called me years ago, one of the things he made clear to me is that people in the church don't know him. They have rituals. They have systems. They have symbols. But they have not been cleansed from the inside. They have not given all of themselves. John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't know, that we all need to know. John and Jesus were actually blood cousins. Like, not like we say, that's my cousin, you know, like, no, they were like real blood cousins. And John was looking at him like, I know you my cousin, but boy, there's something different about you. And the spirit of the Lord was revealing to him that there's something about his cousin that they don't know, he don't know, and we all need to know that's beyond systems. There's symbols that represent something that needs to happen to the inside of us. I'm not going to be able to get into it in depth, but he made the statement in verse 33. At the end of verse 33, he of whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with what saints? The Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we know religious words and we just pass right over them. Spirit of God is amazing, and we praise in him, and the, the Lord most definitely, we know, we have a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit. But God uses names specifically to teach us lessons to help us understand and comprehend. The Holy Spirit is an explanation that God gives us to help us to know really what we need. Holiness. The spirit is invisible, but he's holy. God could have called his the, the second person of the Trinity a lot of names. As a matter of fact, the Godhead Trinity has a lot of names, but God gives spe <coughs> specific names to teach us lessons. You and I quite often, when we get caught up in me, myself included, when we get caught up in rituals, the thing that we need is quite often the thing that we can often miss. The question that's going to happen throughout Jesus' ministry in the book of John will keep coming up. Are, do you have transformation from the inside? Most of you, I'm preaching to the choir. You have a sense you have the Holy Spirit. You need to be committed to that spirit. But through the guidance of the spirit, I just have to be clear and I have to put it out there to make sure that people who have religious rituals are 
asking themselves, do I really know him? And the evidence of that is that you are filled with his Holy Spirit. Finally. We talked about the two things. Number one, it's not about you. It's not about you. You have to get that in mind. You have to keep that in mind. Number two, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with the two disciples, with his two disciples. He looked at Jesus as he was walking and said, behold, the Lamb of God. We won't talk about that because of time and what all that means. But look at what happens when John pointed them to Jesus. The two disciples heard them, him say this and they followed Jesus. Once you give all of you, the next question is, and this is a challenge for all of us, and the evidence that you truly get what God is saying is that are the people that are following you, are you leading them to Jesus? Or do they keep coming back to you? Our prayer in our heart and my prayer in my heart, number one, is that we as Radius Church live out the example of giving up ourselves so that others can be served. It's been in all the themes of the music. It's been in Anderson's talk, and now we're capping it off. God does want all of you. When God calls you to a local body, it is to serve. When you give of yourself, he gives it back to you. If you don't know Jesus, though, the second thing, it's all of us that are here loving on you. We are loving on you to lead you to him. It is not a good old boys or good old girls club because people are dying and they need to know the Savior. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's so much sin, sickness, and pain in this world that only Jesus can help them. You can't. If they keep coming back to you, it's going to be the same problem and they're going to burn you out. But if they finally look to Jesus... Then they'll come with you and pull somebody else in. Whoever you are this morning, I pray that our Lord and Savior allows this word to simmer in your soul despite the limitations of the speaker. May the Lord be with you in Jesus' name.